From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. But where we could be using predictive analytics is to identify those patients that potentially are on the cusp of needing services, right? Maybe some of those pre-diabetics, the patients who are maybe mild congestive heart failure at this point, but really being able to use predictive modeling and using artificial intelligence and big machine learning for all the data that we've got in, in our EMR systems to identify those individuals who we can pull in to the healthcare system sooner. That way they avoid, you know, maybe more comprehensive services down the road through some wellness programs and chronic care management programs that could be implemented. That's Laura Jackwin talking about using artificial intelligence and machine learning to provide better patient access and better understanding of patient health and behaviors. We'll hear more from Laura as well as guest Peter Altshuler in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, captures the patient's story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput. Discover how DAX provides a better patient experience and eliminates afterward documentation. Visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. Our guests today are Laura Jacqueline, Managing Director at BRG, and Peter Altshuler, director at BRG. Laura and Peter are here to talk about how medical groups can optimize scheduling and access today and lay the foundation for AI in the future by using advanced analytics to pinpoint provider practice patterns and patient behavior. Laura, Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, we're very excited to be here. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And Laura, I want to start with you. Uh, first, give our listeners an idea about your firm um, and where your focus has, has really been primarily this past year. Yeah, no, thanks, Daniel. Absolutely. So BRG is a performance improvement consulting firm. Uh, Peter and I both reside in uh, the practice that we call HPI or basically healthcare performance improvement. And it's a comprehensive um, solution set when we work with our clients. And we work with clients across the country, primarily focused on uh, you know, hospitals, large healthcare systems, academic medical centers, and physician groups associated with those systems. Um, we provide services in the area of revenue cycle, um, clinical documentation improvement, uh, supply chain, uh, labor. What Peter and I uh, are talking about today and the, the work focused in this area is around uh, physician enterprise solutions. Um, we have folks that work in HR, strategy. So really anything that a healthcare system or large 
a physician group may need. Um, we have uh, subject matter experts with uh, significant numbers of years of experience, either in consulting or in, in operations, that can work side by side with our, our client partners in a very collaborative fashion uh, to determine opportunities through an assessment process, and then also uh, to recommend uh, solutions for performance improvement. And again, our typically when we work with clients, we're there nine to, to 18 months and, and really develop um, a fabulous partnership to ensure that solutions are implemented and then ultimately sustained. Mm -hmm. Laura, I want to stick with you for just a second then. So with those partners, those clients, what were their biggest pain points then this past year? What was the kind of a recurring theme you, you guys were hearing from them? Yeah, so that's, a, that's a great question, Daniel. So, you know, obviously uh, this past year has, has been extremely challenging for, for everyone and in particular uh, providers and, and, you know, those organizations who are focused on patient care. And so really, and, and rightfully so, um, all of the focus was on that, taking care of patients and taking care of their, their team members uh, as they served as, you know, frontline workers uh, in this, you know, pandemic situation. And so, uh, honestly, Daniel, the shift, and, and again, very appropriately so, was a, a really away from performance improvement activities. We were, we were just focused on really trying to take care of our patients and ensure safety. And so now, uh, what we've seen over the last, uh, you know, really probably three to six months is now a refocus back on, on performance improvement and really garnering volumes back. That's been a, a significant challenge for our clients. We've seen volume decreases just from the standpoint of, you know, safety around accessing care. So ED visits are down, um, you know, visits into the clinics, you know, balancing that telehealth that we're gonna talk about today from an access standpoint. Um, but really now, you know, kind of regrouping and thinking about you know, how do we get our patients back into the health systems, ensuring that they're getting the care they need, you know, need and a lot of the screening things, preventative type care, again, which we're going to talk about today. Um, that's really been what we've seen now as a driver of let's try to get back to focusing on, on uh, areas of opportunity. Thanks for that, Laura. Um, Peter, I want to turn to you now. You and Laura are going to be speaking at the upcoming MGMA Pathways event that's going to be in May. Um, You've got an interesting session there that's uh, going to be touching on patient access and AI. And I want to know more about that. Tell our listeners uh, what that session is about and maybe a main takeaway or two that you could share with us. Absolutely. So, yes, our session is called Patient Access Reimagine with AI in quotes. Really focus on the intersection between patient access, which Laura mentioned, um, when we do consulting with our clients, especially in the physician group, we not only help with uh, optimizing physician compensation and not provider staffing, but almost all of our clients, whether they're a large academic medical center, a community hospital or rural-based hospital, all struggle with patient access. And so we wanted to create a session uh, that shows not only how do we optimize patient access, but use technology such as artificial intelligence and machine learning to really optimize that care. 
And so in this session, what we really talk about is three main areas where we think artificial intelligence and machine learning is gonna play major impact, all while increasing patient access. So one, uh, reducing no-shows and late cancellations. Uh, the second is what Laura mentioned about optimizing um, care models to really individualize care based on patient behavior, patient history. And then lastly, as we've all experienced in the last year and a half, um, how do we incorporate telehealth? And how do we use telehealth in an appropriate way to increase access, not only for those uh, patients who might have more difficult time uh, getting to a clinic, but then also those patients who might lend themselves better to telemedicine visits and managing conditions before they become chronic. So we really wanted to kind of take a more futuristic approach in starting this discussion because as we all know, the healthcare industry is usually one of the lagging industries to adopt technology in new ways. And so how can we start this discussion and get people on what we're calling the AI continuum so when artificial intelligence and machine learning does present itself to the healthcare space, how are our clients going to be ready? Thanks for that, Peter. I want to ask you more about some of the gaps and inefficiencies. But first, you said something that caught my attention. You said that healthcare often lags in uh, some of this technology adoption. We saw... Um, you know, health systems, uh, practices adopt telehealth rapidly when they needed to. So it seems like it can be done when presented that, uh, that opportunity, so to speak, as we were with COVID-19. What is the holdback then? Why do you think, is it because we just want to stick with the way we've been doing things? It's a resistant to change or what's, why, are, why does this industry lag when it comes to technology? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a few factors that play into it, but I think most importantly is, as, as Laura and I know very well, when we're dealing with clients in financial and operational improvement, and as everyone listening to this podcast knows, hospitals and health systems really don't have a lot big margins, and it, they don't have a lot of resources to invest into technology and new um, areas such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, which takes a lot of human uh, investment to, to really get these up and running and a lot of financial investment to get these up and running. And so, um, unfortunately, as we all know, healthcare is, I think, almost 20% of GDP uh, and really could use some of these technological investments. Um, but, and, and I do think that there's some hesitancy to change too, uh, but I really think it's the lack of resources in our healthcare industry that we need to do better at. Mm -hmm. That That's one of those conundrums because it, it, it's one of the few good things that has come out of uh, this past year with COVID-19, but that adoption of technology and being able to bring that technology to people virtually, bring that care to them virtually was really an incredible undertaking. It was, it was really really uh, something else to watch and see it transpire. So um, I no want to question. And, yeah. and I was just going to add real quick, uh, Laura and I were just chatting, I think yesterday about one of our clients who uh, during the pandemic had to really, their ED was at capacity 
And what they had to do is manage a lot of these patients from home and, and basically have EDs at patients' homes and have the ED uh, physicians check in with them virtually and stuff. So I want to reiterate that it certainly can be done. And I think both providers, administrators, clinical support staff all really work together. And we saw that as a great example during the pandemic. Um, but I also think that they need help and they would definitely benefit from these advances in technology that other industries are already using, such as the airline industry um, and other industries that are benefiting from technology and letting humans do more of that human related tasks and the more patient facing tasks and allowing technology and computers to do more behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. Great point. Um, I want to stick with you for one more thing, Peter. It gets back to that scheduling. You were talking about no-shows as one of the areas that improvement is needed. So let's look at that more deeply then. What are some of those gaps, some of those inefficiencies in scheduling? And how, do you make, how does AI make a difference? What is that uh, value add or that difference maker that, that the artificial intelligence provides? Yeah, absolutely. So as any provider or clinic manager knows, no-shows and, and like cancellations where it's just impossible to fill that slot really are a drag on the healthcare industry. Not only does it affect providers' time, financial reimbursement for the system, but it also affects patients who actually do show up for their appointment that can't get those appointments um, because, you know, they go unfilled. And we've experienced clients that have no-show rates between 10 and 30 percent, uh, depending on, you know, their area and patient population. So it is a big impact on the healthcare industry. Using artificial intelligence and machine learning, what we can do, the EMR provides us with millions of lines of data with multiple variables. And so through machine learning, and machine learning really is just a fancy um, mechanism to produce better predictors of outcomes. And so that really applies itself nicely to no-shows because it's easy to determine your outcomes either the patient shows up or they don't show up. And you wanna understand what variables have a higher correlation to those patients that won't show up. Therefore, clinic managers can take a proactive approach of double booking that appointment, reaching out to that patient who's likely not gonna show up to give them personal reminders in order to make sure that they attend their appointment. And what we found is that it really just depends on a lot of different variables, but they're gonna be very specific to your location. We found that um, weather is a big factor, both precipitation and temperature, um, distance from the clinic, the type of appointment. And so all these different um, multivariable relationships between if a patient shows and doesn't show up is very important. And the more accurate we can predict whether those patients will no-show or not, the better that we can optimize a provider schedule and template and increase access. Mm -hmm. You said that uh, patients get reminders. I've been noticing this with doctor's visits over the you know, last year or two. Um, are these primarily through texting? Are there other mechanisms that people receive these notifications as well? Talk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have seen with our clients and through studies that text message reminders are the most effective reminder appointment, appointment reminder uh, mechanism. Um, we know that 
companies such as Televox um, do a lot of automated phone calls from numbers that patients don't recognize. A lot of phones now are silencing those calls and they go to voicemail, which don't, are never checked. So that's not as effective. Um, we also know that there are appointment reminders through patient portals. Patients will get an email. Um, and then, as I was mentioning before, for those patients who we think and predict are likely not gonna show up, it's more those personal phone calls, even having social workers um, reach out to those patients to see if they need transportation or what's the barrier for them to, that are missing their appointment. Um, so there are different ways to remind patients, but again, tying this back to machine learning, I think over time, through all this data and these appointment reminders, machine learning and artificial intelligence is gonna be able to tell us by each person, what's their best appointment reminder mechanism? Is it text message? Is it a phone call? Is it an email? And then that'll increase the likelihood of patients attending their appointments. Mm -hmm. Laura, um, I wanna to turn to you now. So <laughs> we've been talking a lot about the technology side. There is that human element in there. And I wanna ask you a few questions about this. One, it's something that Peter was just talking about that really piqued my interest. And that's about the AI, the machine learning begins to figure out how you best want to be approached, addressed, contacted. Um, at BRG, have y'all done anything as far as looking at the demographic side of it? And it might be a stereotype to say, well, this person's a senior, so they, they want to be called instead of texted. That would not fly with my dad, who's 89 and text with emojis <laughs> 25 times a day. So he's perfectly fine texting. But I definitely, I get in in general that may that could be the case. So have y'all done any demographic work with that to just figure out how best to address or contact certain cohorts? Yeah, it's a that's a great question, Daniel. And I can I can completely relate to what you just said. My dad's 91, so <laughs> he, he doesn't necessarily know how to text um, and uh, likes to block his calls. So he's a challenge. Um, but yeah, we definitely have worked with our clients, and Peter alluded to it when we when we begin to work with clients and we're really you know digging into um, the you know what's causing no shows for that particular organization that particular clinic or physician, you know, uh, clinic system, um, we're going to work collaboratively to, to pull um, as much data as we possibly can to really try to understand what those logistical challenges really are. And, you know, honing in on some of the things that, that Peter alluded to, but then really establishing, you know, um, or utilizing you know, case management from a continuum-based perspective, we see those individuals referred to a lot of times now as a patient navigator. And those folks are really key to understanding some of the logistical challenges. And right now, again, to, to your point, we've got different, you know, age groups that, you know, are going to be receptive to different types of touch points, different types of reach out. And so we, we definitely um, have mechanisms to be able to coordinate and support uh, those challenges that our clients are facing and then help them identify and implement solutions um, that will uh, really reduce that no-show rate and really be more specific to that patient and what the patient needs are. We've even set up situations where we're working with transportation companies 
um, within organizations to ensure you know transportation as as Peter alluded to before. So there's lots of lots of things that we can do from an innovation standpoint and in working with our clients to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. One of the other aspects of this humanizing side of it, it's something that Peter mentioned, um, and that's regarding social workers bringing them in. Tell us about that, Laura. Let us understand that side of it and what role a, a social worker might play. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's really, it's really an important role from a clinic standpoint, and and a lot of times not um, a resource necessarily that's been thought of from a clinical staff perspective, um, but but definitely needed. We talked about some of the the social, you know, challenges just with regards to you know accessing visits. But there's also, you know, legal things, um, legal challenges, insurance coverage challenges, you know, financial applications, um, you know, financial support, um, community resources. A lot of times our patients don't even um, have an, well, they haven't had to, right? If they haven't had a lot of encounters with the healthcare system, they may not even be knowledgeable about what community resources there may be that they could secure you know, meals on wheels, um, you know, assisted living type support, you know, therapies that can, can come to the home, um, nursing support that can come to the home, you know, even um, folks to help them with, you know, activities of daily living and shopping, those types of uh, things, securing medications. Um, those are all things that a social, you know, social services support or a patient care navigator uh, could really bring, you know, to, uh, to a healthcare system, to a clinic system to really support the needs of the patient and really put more of a human um, aspect into what we're talking about today as it relates to AI. Mm-hmm. This past year as the virtual care played a much bigger role, did you have to be concerned or how were you concerned, I should say, about the human aspect of it as well? I'm, I'm Again, I'm thinking of my parents in their late 80s and they were at their house just the two of them and I could see in other cases where someone might be isolated maybe they're by themselves this past year or still isolated uh, more so than normal so were there ways you were integrating that human element uh, along with the technology this past year yeah that's that's an excellent point Daniel and and I think that's where you know, again, where AI can really come in and, and support, you know, Peter alluded to some of that, that background work, right, and allowing our patient care team, our providers and our clinicians to really be focused on the patient and to your point, that human aspect of the patient. And so where, you know, where I think, you know, we've come as it relates to, to technology, we're at that point now where we're better at identifying patients that might have chronic care management needs. So some of our patients may be with congestive heart failure or diabetes or you know, uh, COPD, some pulmonary challenges. And, and where they have been maybe you know, not comfortable you know, reaching out and, and accessing the care system again. I think you know, there's, there's tremendous outreach and you know we see it in each of our states with regards to our healthcare systems reaching out and trying to pull those patients back in. But where we could be using predictive analytics is to identify those patients that potentially are on the cusp of needing services, right? Maybe some of those pre-diabetics, the patients who are maybe mild congestive heart failure at this point, 
but really being able to use predictive modeling and using artificial intelligence and big machine learning through all the data that we've got in, in our EMR systems to identify those individuals who we could pull in to the healthcare system sooner. That way they avoid, you know, maybe more comprehensive services down the road through some wellness programs and chronic care management programs that could be implemented. And then two, helping them from a cost saving standpoint, right? If we can do some more preventive care versus more of the you know, involved and expensive care down, down the line, um, it's just better for our patients and, and their families all the way around. So I think kind of going back to your, your point, Daniel, it's getting patients comfortable with accessing again, and then using our predictive analytics to identify the patients most needing of the services, and then our patient caregivers can focus on them, you know, from a, a caregiving standpoint. Okay. Um, thanks for so much for that. Uh, Peter, I, I want to go to something you and I were um, emailing back and forth uh, leading up to this interview. And in, in a previous correspondence, you mentioned that you've been able to use advanced analytics to pinpoint provider practice patterns and patient behavior We've been hinting around at that. So let's talk about that a little bit more. What's, what are some of the things, some of those patterns and some of those behaviors you've been able to identify and that you found interesting? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Laura introduced it very nicely in the sense that um, I think machine learning and artificial intelligence are going to be able to assist providers in optimizing and individualizing care models. So right now, you know, it's pretty common for providers uh, to risk stratify patients. And the higher risk patients are seen maybe once every other month, low risk patients may be seen once a year. And it just depends on what kind of chronic conditions those patients might have, but then they're gonna fit in those four quadrants. Um, but actually, Laura and I had a client in Florida in 2019 where we did a regression analysis and we were able to determine that not just we were we were able to determine that the number of times a patient saw their provider did not have a strong correlation with their overall medical spend um, and so given that um, just fitting patients into one of these four quadrants high risk or low risk or, or medium risk might not be the best way to deliver patient care and in the future with machine learning and artificial intelligence, um, those advanced analytics will be able to better predict how often that one single patient needs to be seen. And as we were talking about in the beginning, what's the best way to deliver that care? Is it in person or can you substitute and use some telehealth visits to check in with those patients? As Laura said, maybe uh, trying to identify those patients before they're they are, have diabetes or before they are, um, have serious heart disease and intervene then, therefore saving you know, that patient not only uh, the cost, but, but you know, uh, better uh, providing outcomes and, and health for the patient. So I, I think that's gonna be very interesting um, in the next couple of years as we gather all this patient data and use artificial intelligence to really uh, understand the best way for providers to, to interact and intervene with patients. And as we know, just the supply, especially in primary care providers is going down, the demand and services is going up. So 
I think the underlying theme throughout this whole session in, in our session that Laura and I are going to talk about um, next week is how do we optimize patient access for everyone, providers and patients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you've touched on a lot of points here and there's a lot of data to get through. So what are some of the most important advanced analytics and KPIs that you're measuring then, Peter? Absolutely. Um, and I will preface that with, I think one of the most important things as we talk about the artificial intelligence continuum and, and how systems will get on this um, journey is to have accurate data. And by that, I mean, um, these predictions and outcomes are only gonna be as good as the data that are used in the calculations and are used in the machine learning. Uh, for example, I don't know how many times that I've done observations in clinics and I'm sitting next to two uh, patient service representatives, front desk workers, and I ask them, what's their definition of a no-show? And they give me two different definitions. Hmm. Um, yes, almost every time. Uh, therefore, you're not gonna have accurate data into the machine learning system and you're not gonna have um, accurate outcomes. So I think that's um, one of the critical points. As we talk about KPIs, uh, when in related access, I think the third next available appointment is critical. And we've seen clients that have 30 to 60 day third next available appointments. So it, it takes almost two months for a patient to get into the provider. Um, and that's gonna be impacted by no-show rates, impacted by the care delivery model. And so the better that we can optimize those, the more that we will be able to decrease that number and allow patients to access their provider you know, in a reasonable time. Um, the goal for that should be around five to seven days. And, and we've literally seen providers having more than 60 days, uh, their next available appointment. But it's not only looking at that, but looking at slot utilization rate, again, no-show rate, late cancellation rate. Um, and every time we worked with clients, the providers want to see their data. They want to know how they're doing. They're, they're very competitive people. They're scientists at heart. So they take that data and they interpret it. And sometimes it's shocking. Um, we have clients that don't really measure these metrics. And so when we go in there and help them with their analytics, providers can't believe that it takes two months for a patient to get in and see them. And then they ask, okay, well, how can I get better at this? How can I reduce my no-shows? How can I increase my slot utilization? So it is great working with providers. And, and I mean, everybody really wants to do what's best for the patient, so. Okay. Um, you both have touched on a lot of aspects about AI scheduling and patient access. Laura, give us a summary. Give us something that you would like our listeners to take away from the talk we've had today. And as they move forward and begin to either integrate AI and machine learning into their practice or optimize what they may already have in place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Daniel. And I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off and then I'm going to ask um, Peter to, to chime in with some additional, you know, takeaways. I think first and foremost, I'll say it again, Peter just said it a minute ago, is to ensure that we, as we are taking information in and we're putting those into our technology tools, that the data is clean and it's accurate. You know, Peter just talked about, you know, uh, sitting in a clinic and having, you know, two of our, our registration team members, 
you know, having two different perspectives on how a no-show patient is defined is a great example. Um, one of the other things we do a lot when we're working with our clients, we really focus on clinical documentation integrity, right? So, you know, it's very important that when the physician is um, documenting, you know, diagnosis codes, uh, the reason why the patient came into the clinic, what was the treatment that occurred while the patient was in the clinic? Um, we all know that those things, those words, right, that are put into an EMR are then translated into codes um, from a coding perspective. So it's, it's extremely important, especially as we talked about, you know, trying to do predictive analytics around patient care needs, that we have accuracy in our documentation and accuracy in our coding. So just an, another example of how critical it is that that data is, is credible data. I think the other thing that we have to be mindful of, and, and we alluded to this at the beginning of the presentation, is it, there needs to be an investment, right? Uh, systems, um, healthcare systems need to think about artificial intelligence. It's coming. Um, it, it needs to come into the healthcare industry as, as we've seen it expand in, in other industries that we've already kind of chatted about. But there needs to be that willingness from an investment perspective. Not only in the technology, but in the resources, the people that are needed in our uh, business uh, intelligent departments, our uh, decision support, those, those groups are called a lot of different things, but we need um, individuals that can really take, take that information and turn it, turn it into meaningful you know, key performance indicators that <clears throat> you and Peter were just talking about a second ago. That's imperative as well. And then I think some of the things we touched on around our teams being willing to actually um, embrace change and embrace innovation um, and think about how AI and big machine learning can be woven into their operations. It's a way different uh, way of thinking um, than we've done in the past. So, so those are, I think, probably my top three um, uh, takeaways that, that I would like to, you know, uh, really summarize uh, now, but I'd like to turn it over to my colleague, Peter, and and please add to my comments. Yeah, thanks, Laura. And I think you are absolutely spot on with, with what you just described. And I think a great example of that is just, as we've seen in the last 18 months of how administrators, providers, um, business intelligence, and how the whole basically healthcare system has worked together to get through this pandemic, to deliver great patient care. Um, Unfortunately, that was a catalyst that not a lot of people saw coming, but everybody works as a team and together to kind of get through that. And now, as we talk about this technological shift, um, it's going to take that same amount of teamwork and collaboration. Uh, just giving another example, we've seen from some of our clients where they don't even want to embrace centralized scheduling because they want to keep that in their clinic because so-and-so knows the providers and they know how they like to see patients. And the only way that they transfer that knowledge is when another person gets hired and they give kind of that institutional memory onto that other person. Well, I think we've all seen that we need monumental shifts in the uh, healthcare industry and machine learning and artificial intelligence will help provide us with these shifts and, and help providers make their life a little easier, patients life a little better. Um, but this is only going to happen if everyone's on the same page and working together collaboratively. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Well, for a final question, I'd like to switch gears a little bit. It's something we've been doing during the pandemic and just getting a, a more personal side from our guest on the show. Uh, Laura, I want to start with you. Uh, give us an idea of something, maybe a hobby or passion or interest that you've had during the pandemic that's helped you uh, kind of keep going and uh, keep a smile at times on your face. Oh, Daniel, that, that's a, that's great. And I, I really appreciate, um, you know, MGMA and, and all of you guys really thinking about that. I, it, it's been obviously for everyone, uh, a very challenging year and in, in consulting again, kind of back to what, um, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the presentation, our clients were very focused on um, taking care of their patients and they needed to be. And so we've really, you know, we've really adjusted our model. Um, uh, Daniel, from a standpoint of, you know, doing a little bit more of our work has been remote. And so that has allowed, um, you know, Peter and I, who have uh, historically been road warriors, right, leave on Monday, come home on Thursday, uh, scheduled to, to being home a bit more. And so it's been, it's been great to be able to, to do that, Daniel, to, to be able to, you know, really think about, um, you know, activities like, you know, taking walks like we were all doing when we couldn't go anywhere mm -hmm. um, and really focusing on, you know, your health and focusing on, on cooking and some things that uh, maybe I haven't gotten to do so much in the past. So, and reading, reading a lot more just to, and understanding, you know, uh, about uh, what we've been through um, from a pandemic standpoint. Um, being closed in has given us a lot of time to think about some of our other, you know, challenges um, as a as a nation. And so, um, just really, you know, learning and understanding, you know, some of the other things and some of the other, um, you know, areas of of opportunities we have to grow. So I think that's it. It's been a it's been a great, you know, kind of a good bad year, right? Um, we've had a chance to grow in some ways um, that we may not have been able to focus on. So. Um, but, but ready to get back to the, what's going to be our new normal, I guess. Yeah. Did, in your readings, did you come across anything, a book or article or anything that uh, inspired you or stuck with you? Anything out there? You know, I think, uh, you know, Peter and I, uh, we tend to share a lot of, you know, books that we're, you know, we're reading. And, and so I think some of the things that have really been inspiring is, is really around some of the, the information reading around, you know, innovation and uh, really thinking about leadership innovation. But I also think too, you know, um, BRG has just really embarked on, you know, a lot of, you know, um, diversity and inclusion. And so, you know, a couple of, of great reads um, lately just around, you know, um, things that, that we all need to think about and consider from, from that aspect as well. Okay, thank you. Peter, what about yourself? What have you been up to this year? What's inspired you or uh, that you've, uh, any hobbies or habits you've, you've picked up over the last year? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. And I'll echo Laura's comments. Um, just thank you for your time today. And thanks for MGMA for giving us the opportunity to talk more about patient access and the intersection between that and artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, as Laura said, a lot more of our work has been remote. Um, over the last 18 months, and certainly it's given me more time to spend with family and friends, which has been really nice. I've also re-picked up golf that I haven't played since I was in high school, so I've been doing that a lot more. 
Uh, it's been going great. I was lucky enough to play Pebble Beach a couple weeks ago. I certainly donated a lot of golf balls to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, <laughs> not by choice, um, but it was an incredible experience and incredibly beautiful. Um, but then also, like Laura mentioned, uh, a little bit more time for reading. And uh, we both like to share our thoughts on leadership. And I did think that Bob Iger uh, autobiography was excellent. And another book that I really liked was called Creativity Inc. about the Pixar story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the importance of storytelling, the importance of just reworking and editing and, and having constructive criticism to make stories better. Um, and I think storytelling is important no matter what industry you're in. And I've been trying to incorporate that more into my consulting life as well. All right. Well, Peter, Laura, I, w- I want to thank you so much again for joining us on the MGMA Insights podcast and for sharing these thoughts with us today. Thanks, thank Daniel. You, Daniel. Have a great day. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guests, Laura Jackwin and Peter Altshuler. You can hear them speak at MGMA's upcoming Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference, May 11th through the 13th. For more information or to register, go to mgma.com slash pathways conference. And thanks to Nuance for sponsoring this week's show. Visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution, can transform your organization. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcasts at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.